0: Welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. All right, hello everyone. Um, We are here to discuss ethics education in cardiothoracic surgery, Where are we now and where are we headed? My name is Brandi Brose-Scully. I'm a third-year fellow in cardiothoracic surgery here at Johns Hopkins. For the past two years, I've also been a Hecht-Levy fellow in bioethics at the Berman Institute. I'm also a 2019 recipient of the Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum Scholarship. I'm here with Doctors Killich and Hughes. Dr. Ahmet Killich is our program director here at Johns Hopkins as well as an associate professor of surgery and director of heart transplantation. He is a recognized leader in heart failure and mechanical circulatory support and practices the full breadth of cardiothoracic surgery. Dr. Mark Hughes is an assistant professor of medicine here and co-chair of the Johns Hopkins Hospital Ethics Committee and Consultation Service. He is a core faculty member of the Berman Institute of Bioethics and also coordinates the ethics for lunch and as a Blaustein scholar at the Berman Institute, he has been instrumental in designing, implementing, and evaluating ethics curricula across multiple residency programs here at Hopkins, including pediatrics, surgery, and medicine. Thank you to both of you for joining me in this discussion. So we're gonna start off just by outlining where are we now. Um, The American Board of Thoracic Surgery, Cardiothoracic Surgery curriculum outline from back in 2011 has one line that states a goal is for cardiothoracic surgeons to practice ethical and legal obligations of a surgeon. For instance, patient privacy or HIPAA. The Cardiothoracic Ethics Forum was founded in 1999 in response to a perceived need for a discussion of ethics topics by thoracic surgeons. And they've been responsible for ethics education for thoracic surgery, both by doing ethics sessions at our national meetings as well as providing ethics forum scholarships for trainees. They also provide questions on the in-service training exam every year and on the board exam. As we're doing right now, there have also been TSRA podcasts dedicated to ethics, um, including for bioethical principles in congenital heart surgery, pandemic ethics, uh, CT surgeon shortage and super specialization, and working with industry. And of note, the overview of the American Board of Thoracic Surgery curriculum outline notes that certainly intangibles such as professional appearance, communication, informed consent, and management of -of end-of-life issues are examples of skills applicants should develop. The ABTS endorses this knowledge and skills-based outline realizing that individual programs are the critical element in developing an ABTS candidate with maturity, sound judgment, and a commitment to improving systems of healthcare and lifelong learning. So it's really up to individual programs to decide how to teach their residents about ethics. There are places in the country, some of which have been mentioned on this podcast, that do this very well. The section of bioethics and cardiothoracic surgery at the Medical University of South Carolina, under Dr. Sade's leadership, has been responsible for both providing commentary on ethical issues as they arise in their division conferences, such as their weekly m M&M conference, didactic, TSDA curricula sessions, and a monthly journal club. And they also arrange grand rounds uh, specifically de- dedicated to ethics, um, built around presentations of recent cases from the surgical wards, and they play an important role in providing a major bioethics conference there each year, uh, the Thomas A. Pitts Memorial Lectureship in Medical Ethics. There are similar programs around the country. For instance, at University of Chicago and Toronto, they have ethics M&Ms. And there have been many calls to increase ethics teaching to oh. trainees. So here I'll just stop and uh, say to uh, Dr. Kilich, do you have any comments about the current state of ethics teaching for cardiothoracic surgery trainees?
1: Yeah, I think as you've mentioned, uh, uh, Dr. Scully, there's a paucity of education as it relates to what I'd call the soft sciences. And the soft sciences are things like professionalism, civility, leadership, and ethics amongst others. Unfortunately, with the, the way technology has been and the way our field has moved, we concentrate so much on the technical aspects of what it makes a good surgeon that we sometimes lose the vision of being a complete physician. Obviously, uh, if we could dedicate appropriate time, we'd take a significant amount of time to discuss these topics. But because of the time limits and the constraints we have, we have to sacrifice things. And oftentimes, the soft sciences or the non-traditional ones end up being the things that are uh, sacrificed and unfortunately, I think this has led to generations of us not really concentrating on ethics and CT training.
0: Dr. Hughes, would you comment, based on your experience designing curricula for all areas of medicine trainees, um, from pediatrics to surgery to medicine, what you think the current state of ethics education and training is?
2: Yeah, obviously it will vary uh, depending on the uh, program and uh, discipline. It. Um, it starts with the targeted learners, so I would agree that it has to be focused on the uh, program itself and what's achievable, uh, where where it can be integrated uh, as best as possible uh, into the curriculum. So you know, for programs that have time constraints, I think it's certainly reasonable to um, find places, whether it's you know the regular M M&M, and uh, meetings or grand rounds. Um, If it's on rounds themselves, um, you know, just uh, five minutes spent talking about a case, um, how you're communicating with a patient, um, uh, that kind of integration can still work uh, to address the sort of humanities and ethics aspect of uh, being a physician.
0: Great. I think it's important to note that... Within cardiothoracic surgery, we've been talking about this for a long time. Back in 1994, Dr. Castaneda gave a presidential address called The Making of a Cardiothoracic Surgeon an Apollonian Quest, and he articulated at that time that to effectively articulate our professional goals and our mission, we must understand both the underlying scientific and technical issues and their ethical implications. So I think there is that knowledge within cardiothoracic surgery that we need to do a good job uh, with ethics education. And I think, uh, you know, I'd like to discuss what we've done here at Hopkins um, within the Department of Surgery to, uh, to really enhance that teaching and training for our cardiothoracic surgery fellows. So Dr. Killich, would you mind outlining some of the things that we've done here?
1: Certainly, um, we're still in the process of learning and adapting our curriculum. It's oftentimes a, a practice in evolution. I think step one is to ensure that there is a need and that it is an important endeavor. We've taken time away from what we call, would consider normal m M&M, and morbidity mortality conference, and actually devoted a, a sessions like that on just describing the ethical uh, issues involved with certain patients' care, especially when they have a bad outcome or there's a difference of opinions. That tends to be a pretty good time when everyone has devoted, dedicated time in the mornings where they can all be uh, focused and and be active participants in a discussion. We've also taken part in a larger non-division, non-departmental way. When uh, Mark and I have actually been on a panel discussing endocarditis in a form like Ethics for Lunch, where I actually have uh, probably had more people come up to me after that than anything else where they said that was a really in-depth discussion, not because I said anything provocative, because, but because they realized that as surgeons, we often are the ones that have to make an immediate decision, but there's a lot of thought and a lot of hesitation and a lot of consultations that happen before that decision is made or even afterthought once we go down a path of a decision as to whether or not we did the right things. This has also been expanded to, for example, the role of ECMO and patients that had COVID during the pandemic, what is and isn't ethical to institute or withhold, how long is okay. And uh, this has been uh, a wonderful addition to our trainees and, to be honest, us as faculty, because we never got it as trainees. Other things that we've, we've adapted has been the non traditional topic lectureship series for the trainees, which has been the professionalism lectures, the leadership, the civility, the things that I've touched upon. And to give it a little bit of uh, more gravitas, I've asked the senior faculty members, like uh, Dr. Baumgartner, our former uh, division head, and Dr. Higgins, our current department head, to give their thoughts as they've accrued their experience over the years in various different leadership and, uh, and you know, difficult cases. I've also uh, encouraged our trainees to be more uh, well-rounded. Uh, two of the seven uh, current trainees have uh, participated and have been recipients of Cardiotherics Ethics Form Scholarship, which I think gives you a more well-rounded experience. And obviously you mentioned your postdoc in bioethics, which has also been great. So we're, we're very excited to at least uh, begin to scratch the surface of what it means to be a, uh, at least more ethically aware uh, in our field. And I, I'm hoping that for the years to come that we build upon this experience to continue to include it and infuse it and uh, to make it even more of a powerful statement having uh, experts like Dr. Hughes come in as an outsider to the CT world and give their insights has been uh, invaluable.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Killich. Dr. Hughes, uh, Dr. Killich mentioned that you've been involved with us in many of these steps in developing a a more detailed ethics curriculum in our department. Can you give us some of your thoughts about your participation in those events, how you think they contributed uh, in a positive way towards the cardiothoracic surgery trainees? And then can you talk a little bit about the work that you've done within the Department of Surgery as a whole? to educate residents on ethical issues in surgery.
2: Sure, yeah, so um, Ethics for Lunch in particular, I wanted to highlight um, since um, you both participated in that. um, It has been a great forum for us to talk with the hospital community. Uh, Often it's based on a case that's happened. Um, uh, So you mentioned the ECMO case or the endocarditis case. where people really struggled with what to do in a particular case, uh, and that then led to, well, we should really have a discussion with, you know, the broader hospital community. So ethics for lunch, we often attract about 100 people. Um, it's now virtual, um, you know, for the past year and a half, um, but it's a great way to um, both have a panel. Uh, people in that field talking about the the case, uh, how they would um, respond to it, how they would uh, work through the difficult issues, uh, and then get an opportunity to talk with the audience members uh, who could be hospital employees. They could be physicians, nurses, social workers, chaplains, uh, but also community members. And um, they give their insights about, you know, that difficult topic. Uh, sometimes it's not a case, but a policy issue. Uh, so things like allocation of scarce resources that we certainly had to deal with during the pandemic. Um, we brought those up for di- discussion with the hospital community. Um, so I think for, for any uh, residents or fellows that want to get involved in ethics, uh, if they're dealing with a, a difficult issue uh, in their work, uh, this is a great place where they can then present it, uh, gather a panel of experts, Uh, and then have a discussion uh, to really inform the community.
0: Thank you so much for that, and and I do think that both Dr. Kilich and I have had great experiences at Ethics for Lunch, and I think many of our faculty um, have been involved and commented afterwards that it was a very positive experience. Dr. Bush, who's the head of our lung transplant program, Dr. Whitman, who's the head of our cardiac ICU, have been heavily involved as well when we've had those meetings and the feedback that we've gotten afterward has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you recently participated in one of our ethics M and Ms. Can you comment on how you felt that contributed to the ethics curriculum in our department and how you think it went?
2: Yes. Yeah, so again, just bringing attention to to tough cases. Um, you know, the typical M M&M and M where we're we're really thinking about. You know the complications that arise and so on but but really focusing on the ethics issues uh, and I think for the ethics m M&M, also making it accessible to all members of the, the interdisciplinary team so it's not just you know physician-centric um, but an opportunity for uh, nurses uh, other members of the, the team to talk about a case uh, because their perspectives um, you know they're dealing with it day to day um, those M&;ms if it's an open forum people feel safe to, to discuss things uh, can really help in in furthering patient care you know um, the tough cases often form how we you know prevent the problems in the future.
0: Yes, Cinda Rushton who is both uh, one of the nurses here at Hopkins and a core faculty member at the Berman Institute um, has participated and we very much valued her. Her input as well, and I and I agree that um, in many of these cases, the bedside nurses and many of the ancillary staff play a huge role um, in helping us communicate with the family and and grappling with some of those ethical issues. So it's been a great way to kind of open our uh, M M&M up to the rest of the team. Uh, can you comment any about what you've done with the Department of Surgery to? really establish an ethics curriculum?
2: Yeah, so we've been doing this for, um, I guess, 13, 14 years. Um, I was a facilitator in a a faculty development course called Curriculum Development. Uh, So it's a six-step process. Uh, We have a a book I would refer people to um, about how to actually develop curricula, a very organized process. but we we spent a year, uh, so uh, I and colleagues in the Berman Institute, as well as one of the surgery faculty, Fred Eckhauser, um, spent a year you know, looking at the literature on what, what happens in uh, various residency programs, uh, did targeted needs assessments for those programs, met with their program directors, uh, and really tried to focus the curricula on what would work best in each program. Uh, for surgery, with uh, Pam Lipsit, the program director, It was decided that the best place to integrate this would be in um, their skills lab Uh, so there was already dedicated time uh, every Thursday morning where uh, the interns uh, residents were coming to learn surgical skills laparoscopic skills etc and thought that well another skill they need to learn is uh, good communication with patients so uh, we focused on Um, breaking bad news, um, you know, making sure that's done in a a compassionate way with patients, um, uh, as well as, you know, the bread and butter of what surgeons do is informed consent. Uh, So talking through uh, the the theory behind it, um, uh, obviously you need to know some some ethics background to to apply these uh, communication skills, but then actually an opportunity to uh, practice them with a standardized patient. So uh, the way that the forums work is we start with it's all learner-centered, um, small groups of interns, uh, four to eight interns at a time, you know, based on their rotation uh, through the skills lab, and they will talk about their experiences. For instance, with breaking bad news, you know, their own having to break bad news to patients, um, and it can run the gamut of you know, you have cancer to your your uh, surgery is delayed. Um, or you're coming in with an emergent condition, and we need to get you to the OR right away. So whatever whatever the bad news is, um, what they have needed to do, and sharing that with the patient. When it's gone well, when it's not gone well, uh, we highlight the the role of role models. Uh, so the importance of you know have they had uh, attending physicians that have modeled this well, uh, and you know shown them how to do it properly. Um, we talk about those experiences, we then give them a framework. Um, I think many people nowadays are familiar with the SPIKES framework, uh, which is a means of breaking bad news, just an organized way. It, it still has to be improvised based on, you know, the particular patient encounter, but at least gives you a, a, an idea in your mind of the things you need to do, pay attention to when you're breaking the bad news. We present that model related to what they've shared with us and their experiences. Uh, and then actually give them a, um, a mini CEX with Breaking Bad News where they have a checklist of items that you know, they can then observe their colleagues. Uh, we have generally two residents or two interns who will uh, do a standardized patient encounter. Um, everyone else observes. Uh, we ask the uh, person that's done the Breaking Bad News to you know, tell how they think it went. Uh, we have the uh, fellow residents uh, share their insights, you know, give them feedback about how they think it went. Um, and then we as the ethics faculty uh, also share you know, our recommendations. Um, we do the same thing for informed consent. Uh, it's a patient that's been newly diagnosed with breast cancer, and there's an option of lumpectomy versus mastectomy. Uh, so it's part of shared decision-making, trying to explore with the patient which option you know, she thinks is best uh, for her for herself, and um, again that standardized patient encounter, they get feedback. Um, hopefully, as a model for them, you know, taking some things forward when they have to do the informed consent themselves on on the wards. And I think it's been very successful. We've uh, uh, part of the curriculum development process is that you should also evaluate your curricula. So I would encourage others that are developing curricula to have an evaluation strategy in place, and we found that we could both increase knowledge, uh, so just core ethical concepts, uh, as well as uh, increase confidence in you know being able to provide these communication skills.
0: So that's
2: uh, yeah, something we've been continuing to do for you know 13 years now.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Hughes. And, and for anyone listening who wants more details about that program, uh, they can find it in the Journal of Surgical Education from November to December 2014, Moon et al, uh, Ethics Skills Laboratory Experience for Surgery Interns. I think this is an important point to highlight, that ethics education re- should really begin at the beginning of training. And so at this point, I'd like to ask Dr. Kilage to comment a little bit about a program that he developed this last year uh, for our incoming fellows to have a surgical boot camp and how he went about designing that program and how he thinks ethics teaching can now play a role.
1: Yes, uh, it's, it's important to know that there are different teaching paradigms in cardiothoracic training. You obviously have the integrated six program, you have the hybrid four plus three program, and you also have the traditional program. We've historically been a traditional program here, so there's a big change in that we don't take uh, first-year residents or PGY-1s, but we take residents that have finished general surgery and are really PGY-6 through 10 in their training. As such, uh, there are certain basic foundations that I think everyone has already been introduced to, yet at the same time has never been in seen cardiothoracic surgery. So, the design of the boot camp was to ease the transition, but also to make some of these softer sciences be uh, at the forefront of their of their thoughts as they begin the next journey so just like dr hughes uh, mentioned you first see what the needs of the targeted audience is which is this transition that's being made in the first year of the new training paradigm and i broke it down into cardiac congenital and thoracic are three big disciplines and added on other lecture series that include critical care, which I think is very important, extracur- extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, MCS, things that are really unique. But also, uh, with hopefully Dr. Hughes' uh, recruitment after this podcast, getting him involved in uh, ethics uh, to ensure that it's on the forefront, just as it is having, uh, you know, breaking bad news or a difficult patient or difficult peer to peer encounters. Those are really important to at least think about because it brings a certain amount of maturity, which I think is very necessary, especially in cardiothoracic training. We probably deal uh, more with life and death, I'd say, than maybe any other area of specialty, given the nature of what we do. And I think it's important to have this, this clarity of thinking, clarity of purpose, and somewhat of a, a maturity in in the discussions that you, we have and the way we present ourselves as professionals. Now, it doesn't mean that we get everything right, but at the same time, it's important to know what what are the ethical boundaries and dilemmas that we all face.
0: Thank you, Dr. Killich. I think this is, you know, a really important thing to highlight for any programs, again, that want to increase the amount of ethics education that they provide their trainees that, as Dr. Hughes mentioned, uh, this can start intern year, and it can be given in the within the current structure of teaching. So again, for us with M&M, you can devote an M&M every so often to ethics, but you can also incorporate it into your boot camp or your skills lab experience for your trainees. Dr. Hughes, you also have experience not just with the surgical interns, but with the later level residents in enhancing and continuing their ethics education. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so what we do with uh, the senior surgical residents uh, is um, two other aspects of uh, communication skills. Uh, So challenging conversations with colleagues, so especially when there might be conflict. Uh, That was actually um, spurred on by a case that happened at the hospital when there was a conflict between an anesthesiologist and a surgeon. Uh, And uh, again, the surgery department said we really need to make sure people are trained in how to work with each other and communicate uh, effectively with each other. Uh, so we go through a conflict resolution model. Um, and it could be very simple conflicts, very complex conflicts, but, but at least getting residents to talk about these issues. Uh, and then, again, have a framework for when they are encountering difficulties uh, that they have at least a strategy to, um, to work through and, and, again, try to be a productive member of the team with, with their colleagues. Um, And then the other one we do is, uh, and can certainly happen in in surgery where there may be patients who present uh, difficulties, Um, their personality might be difficult, Uh, they might have uh, mental health issues or substance use issues. Uh, And that tension that might be created in the doctor-patient relationship, you've got to figure out ways to still navigate uh, to give them the, the best care that they can get. So, uh, working with, again, a model of how to address the difficult patient encounter uh, and give them practice, you know, in, in a safe environment where it's a standardized patient uh, that may be throwing a lot of, uh, you know, difficult stuff at them, uh, uh, language and so on. Uh, how do you actually stay composed and professional and uh, still serve their needs and figure out what, what, what's going on with them to make them Uh, angry or difficult and so on. Uh, So if you do that in a safe environment, I think it uh, provides an opportunity when they actually are encountering patients that they're having difficulties with to again have a strategy to uh, communicate effectively.
0: Thank you, Dr. Hughes. Uh, Can you comment on how you think we're doing as a specialty and if there's anything that you can identify as easy targets for improvement? for cardiothoracic surgery trainees?
2: So I, I think the uh, main message I would have is still integration into everyday work. Uh, so the opportunities in the OR or when you're rounding on patients, um, even just the, the few minutes of, of talking about uh, a, a core ethical principle as it relates to, to the patient. Um, honesty of uh, you know who's performing the operation, uh, uh, how you communicate uh, lab results uh, to a family member um, when you know the patient is uh, unconscious. But there could be various things that could be done um, as well as the, the higher stakes things like ECMO and um, when do you decide you know to, to stop or uh, how do you know how to start to address uh, end of life issues. Um, so I think there are always opportunities. It's just a matter of uh, being uh, aware and focused that you can integrate this uh, on a daily basis. I'm more a fan of everyday ethics than trying to separate ethics into something that's that's you know outside the realm of what we do every day as physicians. Uh, I think that that'd be my main message. There are obviously other opportunities um, that residents can do on their own, uh, fellows, um, where they can do reflection on you know the the experiences they're having. Um, some people journal. Uh, we did that in pediatrics where we would ask um, uh, the residents to write about difficult cases. Uh, it's just a, another way to organize your thoughts uh, and really reflect on, you know, what you're going through. Um, whether it's, you know, ethics literature and, you know, really getting uh, case discussions, uh, writing those up, that's another opportunity. Um, and then I think just this idea of regular case discussions, whether it's M&M or Grand rounds. Um, just another way to, to put the focus on. it.
0: Thank you, Dr. Hughes. Dr. Kilich, as the head of our heart transplantation program, you are daily on a multidisciplinary meeting with all members of the team from heart failure cardiologists to nurses to social workers. Do you think that would be a good opportunity for integration of ethics education for the fellows? And do you have any other thoughts, being the director of something that is so tied to ethics as heart transplantation.
1: Yes, no, it's uh, you know sometimes we wear a couple different hats, and it's always nice to, when you're wearing different hats is to have a, a a cadre of people around you that surround you that you can kind of bounce ideas off of. And you know the, the reason why we have the daily rounds is so that we don't lose fact of the uh, or lose sight of the fact that it's an individual that we're taking care of. And when we talk about scarcity of resources, transplantation is a scarcity of those kind of type of resources. And we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for each individual patient, whether or not they have a caregiver plan, if they have uh, thought about end of life issues, as that's exactly what we're dealing with. And uh, sometimes as surgeons, we don't necessarily have the full picture that our other colleagues like social workers and our palliative care team may. So it's very important to get their involvement as well as our various different uh, coordinators. The, uh, I agree with uh, you know, what Mark was saying, that yes, this is uh, this is something that we do every day. We don't necessarily articulate it, but it's something that we try to bring into our practice of medicine, which is a holistic approach. Transplantation, as you know, and its, its particularly heart transplantation in its roots, has played a significant role in me- biomedical ethics in terms of what defines death, in terms of circulatory death, and what constitutes an appropriate donor and the, just the legality of those type of definitions has been spurred on by the field. In fact, most recently, there's a statement out there talking about the calling for a banning of DCD donors, which is donation after circulatory death, particularly in heart transplantation. And that was put out by society and we have to respond as a society now. So yes, there's uh, interplay uh, every day and I think anytime as, we as faculty and trainees can be introduced to these kind of concepts, I think it benefits everybody.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kilich. And thank you, Dr. Hughes, uh, both for joining us on this podcast today and for your involvement in our ethics uh, teaching efforts. Um, I think that the important points from today are both the everyday integration of ethics into the surgical ed- education for your trainees, as well as these targeted programs um, that really ensure that surgical trainees have an ethics foundation for from which they can practice and move along in their training. I'll ask you, Dr. Hughes, for any final thoughts as we wrap this up. But again, thank you so much for joining Dr. Kilich and myself.
2: Yeah, no, it's been my pleasure to, to join you and I, I wish you well and, and I would encourage you to, to find those places where you can talk about ethics.
0: All right, thank you.